what is the most ridiculous TikTok, either conspiracy or just like life hack you've heard? Because I have one and I listened to this and I said, there's no fucking way that's safe. Like <laughs> my brain, I've only seen it three times. People have said three times, but I'm just like, something's not right here. Do you have any of those? Because because if not, I do. No, I'm trying to think. I am on pretty much my feed is just cats. Okay. And raccoons at this point. So, so this happened about a month or two ago. Like this was going to be my cold open last month. And then I learned the incredible family fact of <laughs> lethal poisons that can be hidden under plant site. Yeah. So, you know, you got to talk about that. The government hasn't contacted me yet. So I think I'm good. We're in the clear. Yeah. But, um, so I kept seeing these, I've seen like three or four videos last month where these girls, cause none of them were guys. So I'm not trying to generalize, but they were like eating papaya seeds and the purpose of eating papaya seeds. And this is kind of gross, but because parasites were coming out because they can get parasites out of their body. Like if you had like a tapeworm, the papaya seeds would take it out. That sounds fake. Yes, it does. And literally all of them said, cause this one girl did the video, right? So she gets papaya seeds, yeah. puts in a glass and she's like, I'm going to drink this. Cause I got told this is how it works. And then she did a follow up video and she goes, guys, it worked. Like some came out, but I'm not okay. Like I've had terrible diarrhea for like yeah you're not supposed to hours. eat the seeds and I'm just like and then I kept getting videos of people saying yeah this worked but I'm having like terrible like stomach issues so like I'm just confused like how dedicated are you to finding out if you have a parasite at the cost of your gastro health no because I'm sure as hell not I don't want to know if there's shit in me that's what antibiotics are for I can barely get to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like no. my anxiety is up to here with health. Like why, why make it worse by no. eating papaya seeds to see if there's something wrong with me? No. If you, if you don't know you have something wrong with you, that's not worth it. No. Even it, if you do, there are medications to kill your tapeworms. Yeah. You do not need to take the holistic you literally all natural route. can go talk to a doctor yes. and say, I think I have a tapeworm to which she'll say, here are some antibiotics. Yeah, no. On a much tamer scale, people were putting mustard on watermelon all I saw month. that. Lizzo was big into that. I just hate mustard. I, I hate mustard with a strong passion. Same. This is why we're best friends. So like. The thought of just putting mustard on anything and eating it made me gag, but watching people put it on watermelon, I was like, Ugh. I don't care how good something would be with mustard. It's not worth it. No, it's not worth it. I once got a sandwich recently at Panera and I did not know it had mustard on it. And I'm you telling you, I, no, no, no. I, I was, it was my fault. I did not know it had mustard on it. So I didn't send it back. So I just ate a chicken noodle soup cup no. for lunch. And it was very sad. That is sad. But it was a sacrifice I was willing to make out of my hatred for mustard. Yeah, I've, I feel that. I've done that. But anyway, I'm Bethann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. This is She Will Rock You. Not She Will Have Health Advice for You. Not She Will WebMD You. We are not doctors. We are not doctors. But we can pretty much advise you 
don't eat papaya seeds. <laughs> <laughs> we can advise you to go to doctors. Yes. But we are not doctors. Don't eat papaya seeds. Yeah. It just doesn't. One girl grinded it up into a smoothie. Why? You put chia seeds in your smoothie. Are you a bird? Not papaya seeds. Are you a bird? <laughs> do you have the the structure to handle seeds? The truth is we do not. No, we for don't. For the most part. I mean, I can't really say I'm not a nutritionist. Go to a nutritionist. <laughs> Go to a doctor. Damn it. Speaking of myself, <laughs> me and my OCD anxiety. Don't you just love it when my foot hits the space bar? We just and lost. Then turns it off. I had some damn good jokes that the world will never hear. I know. We lost like five minutes of recording because Ben's <laughs> foot hit the computer. <laughs> uh, we're so, super professional in here today, guys. Yeah. Um, We'll start out this next section by welcoming new listeners. Welcome. We don't always talk about TikTok. Well, I think we actually do now. No, we talk a lot about TikTok. Uh, but we don't talk a lot about doctory shit. So no, that's not really our vibe. But today, the vodka saying it is our vibe. Yeah, we normally. It's been a while since we've had anything to drink on this show, because usually we're like doing back-to-back interviews right. or something crazy or we're just tired and don't want to drink alcohol but tonight yeah. we were having vodka so you know we hit the ground running you know sometimes you need it you need it you need it you need it but if you're new welcome thank you for checking out our show yes it's chaotic here stay a while yeah <laughs> welcome welcome to the life of Leah and Bethann <laughs> is it neat no <laughs> is it tidy no but is it funny as fuck Kinda. It's kind of like Dunkin' Donuts. You don't really know why you like it. <laughs> we are the Dunkin' Donuts of podcast. Yes. That's our next shirt. We're not Starbucks. No, we're, we're not, not the best. We're not the fancy coffee on the street made with Guatemalan beans. We are Dunkin' Donuts, bitch. And we'll get you a donut in your face, too. Uh. <laughs> Anyway. Coming to a website near you. <laughs> anyway, stay tuned for that merchandise. <laughs> uh, that was a better joke than anything I than we yeah, had that, in the, the see, first half. This first happens on take two. Um, how about you read, <laughs> okay. reread the reviews you read earlier? <laughs> All right. This one's from Derek Cav- Caravu. Caravau, I think. Caravau. It's probably Caravau. Caravau makes more EAU. sense. Not that I took three years of French and be able to tell you that, but anyway. Um, two ladies drinking beer, talking rock and roll. What's not to like? They cover one band or artist at a time and have fun while doing it. Give this one a spin. Like we said, we are drinking vodka tonight. Correct. My drink is gone. Anything's possible. Oh, my uh, my berries at the bottom have been soaking in vodka and I'm slurping them up slowly. They're good. I'm going to really slurp them up when you're talking because yes. I've had a chance to. On I had my Gay. chance to drink my drink yeah. already. And then this one's from Rocky for real. Yes. Check out Rocky Wild Nights with Rocky. Great show. She interviews people about their wildest nights and there I are some that. great stories. We need to get on that show <laughs> and we need to tell the story about that one night. Oh, we do. The one Rocky, night at karaoke. Rocky, I will, I will be hitting We're you up available. for We're available for some stories, Rocky. I literally was going to say, I don't have any wild nights. Oh, and then, we, we have them. And then it hit me. We do. We have some wild nights. Okay. Okay. Anyway, this one's called They Did Rock Me. 
Bethann and Leah do an excellent job at co-hosting. Thank you. Thank you. There's never overlap or confusion of who's speaking. And their Meet the Artist series, they do an excellent job of making their guests feel comfortable to open up. And they ask the questions that are actually art and music. I love them as podcasters and look forward to more. There will be more. There will be. All right. What are we talking about? Okay. So I thought that Queen was heavily requested by our listeners, but that might just be because, you know, like my friends like Queen, so they requested it. But y'all, our British followers have been asking for Oasis for months. So this is to all of our British followers on Twitter who have asked me at least once a week to cover Oasis. Damn. Yeah, it's been a lot. So anyway, here's Wonderwall. I mean, Oasis. (laughs) You can't do two puns. You can't do two puns like that. I've been saving that damn joke (laughs) for a month. And you ruined it on Martin Gay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, continue. Um, There are some disclaimers in here. One being, while I am a child of the 90s, I was not born until 1993, so... I've never known a world without Oasis. That's fair. So I get why they were so big at the time, but personally, I don't get them. If that makes sense. Like my only reference to Oasis, every emo band looked up to them, one, and then two, Wonderwall played in middle school. Middle school dance. Yeah. Like I remember Right after Yeah by Usher. Yeah. Like it, it was it was almost planned every time. And we've got the memes, but like Yes. I just don't I don't it's not my vibe. I feel like I need to throw that disclaimer out. However, it's a fucking wild ride, so buckle up. I do my best to fact check these episodes and everything that I write, but this was literally one of the hardest to fact check because Noel and Liam have two totally different sides of every yeah. story. So take what it is for what it's worth. Um, a lot of it is I did corroborate with the uh, Supersonic documentary that is out by the same guy who made the Amy documentary. Oh, that's nice. It's a really good documentary. I will say there is some mention of abuse and of course there's drugs. Um, And I think that's all my disclaimers. That's a short list. So yeah. So to get into it and to quote the VH1 behind the music documentary, Contrary to their name, Oasis is no sanctuary. Mm. It's a war zone occupied by two brothers whose rocky relationship has been trouble from the very beginning. Jeez. And to quote the supersonic documentary. (laughs) I can't even say this without laughing. Oasis was like a fucking Ferrari. Great to look at. Great to drive. But it will fucking spin out of control every now and again when it's going too fast. (laughs) Uh, so let us meet the Gallagher brothers by their own admission the Gallagher brothers have been at each other's throats basically since the day that Liam was born jeez Noel has been quoted saying I liked my mom until she gave birth to Liam (laughs) (laughs) I really resonate with that (laughs) growing up as a as, as, a younger younger, as a younger sibling with uh, my brother. Uh, I don't think you guys hated me. each other this much. Um, no, we did not. In that documentary, 
Liam revealed that during one of their fights when they were teenagers, he came in drunk and couldn't find the light switch, so he just peed all over Noel's new stereo. Oh, jeez. And they basically boil hating each other down to that particular moment. (laughs) You know, there have been other family feuds started on Lesser. But the thing is, they chose to make a band together and have a career together, so this is on them. Yeah, very true. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So they were born in Manchester, which we've talked about in, I think, the Aussie episode. It was one of those like really sad towns that kind of never recovered after World War II. And it was just depressing and everyone worked in a factory and everyone was just sad and it was a rough place to grow up. Their parents were Irish immigrants and um, I didn't put their parents' names in here. Whoops. But they had three sons, Paul, Noel and Liam. They all gave fighting Irish names to And uh, as I mentioned, the older two, Paul and Noel, did not like Liam. They considered him a burden. The boys all attended a Catholic school. And by seventh grade, Noel had embraced the dark side of Manchester streets as a glue-sniffing cat burglar. (laughs) Excuse me? Repeat repeat what you just said. Glue-sniffing cat burglar. (laughs) (laughs) He was into drugs and stealing shit. He is he is an Ozzy Osbourne of <laughs> He's his time. following in Ozzy's footsteps. Um, so often he was in trouble, and so he would be confined to his house. So he did the logical thing and picked up a guitar to pass the time. And he says that this was his only refuge from the rough reality of his home. His dad, their dad, is extremely abusive. Mm. Um, in VH1 special. Noel is quoted as saying, once you've been left virtually unconscious on the floor by your dad and you know you're not going to die, you don't have a fear of anything else in life. Wow. Holy shit. And yeah, that's kind of how he lived his life. But they they speak about this abuse like super casually, which is concerning. They're just like, that's the way it was back then. And that's the way it was growing up in our house. Um, And obviously there's that's going to cause issues later in life. Uh, But one night in 1983, their mom, Peggy, packed up all three boys and left their dad, which the boys say is the best thing that ever happened to them. They were, I think Noel was like 14, 13 at the time. He ended up quitting school at 15 and got a job at the gas company to help provide for his brothers. But he would spend his nights just chilling at home, playing his guitar and contemplating life. And he kind of came to the realization that he was either going to go work at the factory be a drug dealer or make it big with his guitar. Those were his three paths. Mm. And uh, to keep with the family tradition, Liam also left school at 15, but in his case, he was expelled. Oh. So he got a job as a fence builder, at least until the band is born. So Oasis is born out of like the leftovers from an earlier group called The Rain. Oh, that's neat. Both water themed. Yeah. Uh, Which was composed of bassist Paul McGugan, guitarist Paul Arthurs, drummer Tony McCarroll, and singer Chris Hutton. But they didn't like Chris, so they were like, we got to find a new guy to sing lead. And um, Paul and Liam were friends, and so they auditioned Liam as a potential replacement. And he got the gig. And they were like, we can't keep going by the rain. I'm going to say it's because it was a dumb name. I'm sure that there was a better reason at the time, but I think it's a dumb name. And so Liam suggested that they change the band name to be Oasis 
because in Liam and Noel's childhood bedroom, they had a Beatles tour poster and they played at the Oasis Leisure Center in Swindon. That's neat. So while Liam's getting this band started up, Noel is working as a roadie for a band, which has quite possibly the worst name we've ever heard, In Spiral Carpets. (laughs) What does it even mean? I don't know. Is that a carpet company? And at first I was like, this has to be spelled wrong. And I looked it up. I was like, nope, it's In Spiral Carpets. So I think it's stupid. Yeah. Noel was smart to leave. And so he came home and or he was home and so he wanted to watch Liam's band play and Noel and his friends didn't think that Oasis sounded that good but he was like you know I've been writing some songs on the side with this other group working as a roadie so maybe I'll just give them to Oasis to play and they can have something good to play for once <laughs> how, how very generous of him <laughs> he was also surprised that Liam had a talent for something other than causing trouble <laughs> And so he comes up to the band and he's like, okay, I want to be in your band, but there's one condition. I get to have total control of the band. And they were basically like, okay. Ooh, that's a bad, (laughs) that's a bad call. That's surely not going to come bite him in the ass later. (laughs) No, he became the band's sole songwriter and the leader. And he made them all promise that they would commit to like actually trying to make it big. Yeah. And so they stopped playing the terrible songs that Liam was written. They were literally up to this point just bopping around with four songs. And Liam or Noel had this whole like unwritten book of song or unplayed book of songs that he brought to the table. Um, And Noel kind of like is the reason they have the sound they were. were. They were kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, you guys are only allowed to play bar chords and root bass notes. And the drummer, you're only allowed to play basic rhythms and we're going to distort the hell out of it. And that's the band. Uh, they wanted to make it big on the charts, obviously. And so he told them, we've got to kick out Phil Collins and Sting. That's McDonald's music. That's fast food music. We've got to kick him out of the charts. <laughs> so he's got, he's dreaming big. I'll give him that. But how is he not going to become the McDonald's of music if he's playing just bar chords They're gonna be and different. basic rhythms? distorted they're gonna be different were they gonna be the taco bell yeah, i guess the ta- combination pizza hut and taco bell <laughs> the, com- <laughs> the combination kfc and long john silver that's the worst combo of them all <laughs> uh so they created a sound that critics described as being so devoid of finesse and complexity <laughs> that it came out sounding pretty much unstoppable <laughs> that's hilarious which is the most backhanded compliment i've ever heard they just demoted themselves to gas station food. Yes. <laughs> Yet rose them to a fine dining at the yes. same time. It's it's all about balance. Uh, so they end up getting a recording contract really, really quickly, like two years after starting the band. That's not bad. And it happened by accident. So in May 1993, Oasis were invited to play a gig at, in my opinion, the venue with the best name in all of England, King Tut's Wawa Hut. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Can I design the shirt? I see the logo in my head. Every time I see this in a tour poster, I'm like, I just want to go there. Well, it'd be it'd be King Tut, and then it'd be the Wawa symbol that we have in the states, the gas station, ah, and then a Pizza Hut, all in one. It's a combination. <laughs> it's a combination. <laughs> no. King Tut, Wawa, Pizza Hut. <laughs> but anyway, 
So they were invited to play a gig at King Tut's in Glasgow by a band called Sister Lovers because at the time they were sharing a rehearsal room. Not really sure how that worked. Um, so Oasis hires a van. They drive all the way to Glasgow, which, I mean, they're based in England at the time. So I'm, that's probably a long drive. Yeah. I don't know geography, but the club won't let them in because they're not on the set list. They're not booked for that night. And then somehow, literally no one knows. There's like seven different accounts of how this happened. They managed to get in and get the opening slot. Hmm. And while they were playing, they impressed the owner of Creation Records, whose name is Alan McGee. And he, like on the spot, offered them a recording contract. But they made him wait a few months before they signed it because they were really smart and wanted to secure American distribution to go along with it. Yeah, so they, that's real smart. They kind of signed two contracts. They signed like the European contract and the American one. Um, but they did sign it. And the deal with creation was for six albums. So mm. he guess he really liked what he heard. Uh, because Noel is a control freak, <laughs> he was obsessed with getting that first album perfect and forced the band to re-record it three times. The whole album? The whole album. Oof. But it pays off. Uh, so to get things ready for their first album, they release a series of singles. The very first is Supersonic, which comes out in April 1994, and it hits 37 in the charts. Next, they release Shaker Maker. It hits number one in the chart. Mm. And uh, this is kind of a problematic song because it basically steals the melody from I Like to Teach the World to Sing and leads to a copyright suit. Yeah, not that, a good idea. That leads to Oasis having to pay 500,000 pounds in reparations. Oof. But it hit number one. Well, that's good. Uh, and then third, they release Live Forever, which hits in the top 10 UK charts. So that August, on August 29th, 1994, Oasis's debut album, Definitely Maybe, enters the charts and hits number one within a week of its release. At the time, it became the fastest selling debut album in the UK, breaking the record that was set by the Beatles. Hmm. Weird. So that is, this is where I didn't know they were this, like I knew they were big. So I didn't know they were this big. They were huge in the UK. And I think that that's what I don't get because I'm American. Yeah. <laughs> um, like everyone I know who really loves Oasis is British. So uh, I was actually talked to matt from straight from the hot tap because oasis is his favorite band yeah and he was trying to explain to me what it was like over twitter and i was like i have never existed in a world without oasis you're gonna need to explain this over audio and so here's a little clip of what it was like in britain at the time just to give you some perspective i'm matt i'm from the podcast straight from the hot tap and i was 15 when Oasis released Definitely Maybe. So I was right at that stage of my life where music was becoming important to me when they exploded onto the scene. And the funny thing is at the time, I don't think anybody really got it. And it's only retrospectively when we look back, it all starts to make sense. And the big thing to understand Oasis and understand their impact is to understand how British society works. So in the US, you generally divide yourselves up by where you live. So the states have very strong identities and also race is, is a big thing, isn't it? But in the UK, it's class. The, the class system in the UK has been a thing since anyone can remember. And there are three very distinct classes that we still talk about even today, even though it's a lot less relevant than it used to be. And you've got the aristocracy, 
middle classes, which are effectively the professional classes, and then the working class. The working class have always been looked at fairly romantically as uh, people who work in manual jobs, that are hardworking, low-paid people, that are at the engine room of the country, if you like. Due to immigration over the last sort of 100 years or so, that working class has really changed. So you have immigration from overseas, so places like the West Indies, places like India, Pakistan, and so on, that have changed our communities a great deal. But one thing that people don't talk about as much is the immigration from Ireland. Irish immigrants have been coming into the UK since the 1850s, when there was a a massive famine in Ireland. Um, But also throughout the 20th century with post-war Britain and so on. So Irish people come to the UK looking for work and they typically work in low-skilled manual jobs. A lot of them came from places like Dublin, Donegal, Belfast, and they'd land in Liverpool typically, the nearest port to, to Ireland. And gradually over time, they moved eastwards towards Manchester for work. And this is where the Gallagher story picks up, really. The Gallagher brothers were from Irish Catholic backgrounds. And the Irish Catholic immigrant population in the UK is very, very underrepresented and very deprived and are often regarded as the underclass. So there's that fourth tier of class. And the underclass were very much regarded as a nuisance. Yeah, They were looked at as disruptive, as criminal and so on. And that's where the Gallagher brothers really fitted in. So when they burst onto the scene in 93, 94, for the rest of the UK, we saw these, these kids that were dressed in football shirts and inarticulate, aggressive, and so on, really not fitting into the general music scene at the time. So you've got the post-80s glam rock thing, and you've got that theatrical, high fashion, highly produced thing. And then in the indie rock and so on, you've got that slightly kind of middle class, almost academic style of music. You throw Oasis in, and it was just completely mental. So you had this incredible blend of this aggression and in-your-face confrontational style of Liam Gallagher with this amazing voice to go alongside it with this poetry of Noel Gallagher. And that's the really amazing thing about Oasis, that you've got Noel Gallagher who can write songs the way that John Lennon did or Bob Dylan or some of the, the great songwriters, and yet mixed up with this energy and this aggression from this underrepresented group of society. And it just spoke to people. It just woke people up to music as I've never heard it before. So if you were in Liverpool and Manchester in these working class or, or very deprived areas, your day was just comprising of kicking around, playing football in the street, doing odd jobs for a bit of money, maybe selling drugs, maybe drinking. And that's a lot of what Noel Gallagher talks about in his song. These days that were filled with wafting around, not doing a great deal. It really spoke to you, people listening to this stuff and thinking, do you know what? Finally, somebody represents me. Somebody's singing songs about how I live my life. And that's why it became so powerful. Got this amazing lyricism, this, this ability to kind of write music that really speaks to people with this culture that, that has been underrepresented. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And the best way of describing how Oasis makes people feel is, you know, I went to a wedding a couple of years ago and it was uh, a friend of mine and he marries an American lady. So he and Emma got married at this big place in, in, near where I live. And there was this guest list of a load of randoms that never met before. His family, who were Irish, incidentally, and Emma's family, who were all American. There just was no real common ground between the two families. And had this band playing. And at the end of the gig, this band played Don't Look Back in Anger. And everything changed. The entire dance floor was one circle of all of these people, arm in arm, just singing 
singing and embracing and enjoying the occasion. And that's what that music does to people in this country. It stands the test of time. It really helps to see the environment that these guys lived in because they're very, very deprived, but also bleak. And it's just by some freak that Noel Gallagher found a guitar and just had that innate ability to, to bury himself in music. Without that, nothing would have happened. Oasis just seemed to tap into that culture where people wanted to just sing and dance and just experience the energy. I mean, I've seen them in concert twice and they just sing every song as if it's the last time they will ever perform. They just didn't have a plan. They weren't thinking about investing their their money in stocks and shares. They weren't thinking about the next album. They were just thinking about trying to experience something in the moment now. So yeah, I think, like I said, I don't re- still don't really get Oasis, and I think it's because I'm American. Um, but it shook things up. Like Britain had not had a fever for a band like this since the Beatles. Yeah, which weren't it had been what thirty years since they were big in the UK. And like I said, critics said that this was a wake up call for Britain's stale music scene. But this went to their heads really quickly. I would imagine so. And it caused Noel and Liam to start declaring themselves the best rock band in the world (laughs) after one album. (laughs) Who else did that? We covered a band that started labeling themselves as the best band in the world. I think every band does it at least I think it was The Clash. It was The Clash. Uh, Like someone in their band, like after London Calling, started to be dubbed the greatest band in the world. Yeah, that sounds right. Um... So obviously they blew up and they're everywhere and they, they sound a lot like the Beatles. And so they get accused of ripping off the Beatles. Ooh, that's not good. But they just kind of roll with it. They're like, yeah, they're our biggest influence. And then everyone was kind of like, okay, which would not pass now. No. At all. They'd be like, oh, you're, I mean, look at the Greta Van Fleet Led Zeppelin thing. Oh yeah. They sound similar to Led Zeppelin and everyone will not leave them Olivia alone. Rodriguez is getting dragged for sounding like Paramore and that's not a fair comparison but like Rodrigo Rodrigo I'm sorry what did I say <laughs> before the haters come at Rodriguez oh I'm sorry before the haters come at us um so yeah they just rolled with it and everyone's like okay cool uh and rightfully people became obsessed with them overnight they started getting the same haircut they wore the dark round basically Beatles glasses yeah um and it was just a thing to look like oasis and so they obviously they tour they promote the hell out of this album and after a year of constant touring Liam and Noel aren't getting along to the point where they refuse to do joint interviews because they fought too much jeez oh, <laughs> which in, you're way too early in your careers guys to not interview with your own brother yeah but okay uh, at a gig in L.A. in September of 1994, Liam made offensive remarks about the American audience, <laughs> which was probably justified. Probably, probably fairly earned. <laughs> Let's be real. But then he hit Noel with a tambourine. <laughs> also probably fairly earned. <laughs> they played a legendarily terrible set and were rumored to be high on cocaine, <laughs> which was also probably true. I would have loved to see this show. I know. Uh, this whole fiasco upset Noel so much that he was like, I quit. 
I'm leaving the band. And he flew to Las Vegas where some poor soul from the record label had to go calm him down and talk him into rejoining the band. Mm. This is the first of many times that Noel will quit the band. Yeah. So they finally had their first number one single in the UK in April, 1990, April 1995 with Some Might Say. Uh, at the same time, they kick drummer Tony McCarroll out of the band. They, uh, he was quoted as saying that he was unlawfully expelled from the partnership for which he called a personality clash with the brothers, which honestly is fair. Yeah. I don't blame him. The Gallaghers, on the other hand, just started saying that he had no musical ability. <laughs> and I like Tony as a geezer, but he wouldn't have been able to drum the new songs we're writing. <laughs> well, I mean, you you started his career by saying you're only playing basic rhythmic <laughs> sounds. Don't no 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 fancy fills. Basic boom boom ch, boom boom ch. and then you like then you then you drag him you drag him for you not being able to play the drag new songs him for not playing newer stuff that's not fair that's not fair to tony uh they end up replacing him with alan white and it was around this time that the great brit pop battle between oasis and blur started oh blur blur i haven't heard that name in a long time and i didn't realize honestly and how big this battle was because i was what two at the time yeah and i like i said this is not my musical scene anyway um until i was listening to an episode of rivals talking about oasis and blur and i was like oh this got like nasty i wish this existed in the social media age so we could see it because it would have gotten a lot worse um but basically what happened is on august 14th 1995 blur and oasis released singles on the same day which basically made the news portray it as the battle of Britpop. Mm-hmm. So once again, this is really just something fabricated by the media, but it makes for a good story. So Blur released their song Country House, which outsold Oasis's role with it. Blur sold 274,000 copies the first week. Oasis sold 216,000 copies during the first week. Um, and it just started this like weird fight between the, the two bands. Mm-hmm. It's also worth pointing out that Blur was a much bigger, more established band at the time than Oasis. Like, Oasis is just, like, two years old. Yeah. Been skyrocketed to fame. No one knew who they were two minutes ago. But Oasis's management were like, oh, Blur, the, Blur's cheating because their song has two versions. Uh, this is at the time where, like, singles were still released on records for it to count. So Blur released two versions of the, the single, and both of them had different B-sides. So, like hardcore fans were buying both versions to have mm-hmm. the whole set and uh blur's single was less expensive but noel could not handle this despite the logical explanations <laughs> that were handed to him and so he told the observer in an art in an interview that he hoped that the members of blur would catch aids and die holy shit <laughs> yeah that's not okay which of course the media ran with i'm sure and he ended up having to apologize via a formal letter in all these publications. But he did apologize. Also in 1995, because these boys have no chill, the famous Wibbling Rivalry takes place. Wibbling? Wibbling Rivalry. Okay. This is a bootleg single called Wibbling Rivalry that they definitely released themselves because they released it under the name Oasis 
where the I is a dot instead of an I. Um, and all it is is just an audio recording of an interview that, that Liam and Noel did with John Harris in 1984, like just before Definitely Maybe was released. And it's just 14 minutes of them fighting. <laughs> so they were basically like leaking TMZ before it was a thing. Yeah. On their own that they released as a bootleg this single. This seems like good content. It's it's a four it's fourteen. Is minutes. there at least music on it? No. It's, it's just them fighting. It's literally that's just not the a interview. single. That's just a that's just a documentary. <laughs> but it's just the audio. Um, in this fourteen minutes, Noel calls Liam a football hooligan. Liam <laughs> tells Noel, "You can stick your thousand pounds right up your fucking arse till it comes out your fucking big toe." <laughs> in response to some money that he owed him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's really funny. I love it. I listen to it. It's it's literally 14 minutes of fighting. I feel bad for the poor interviewer. Um, but the world gets its first look at the tension, like the real tension between these yeah. brothers, as well as the like crazy hard partying the band is doing. In I'm this sure. interview, they talk about the time that Liam got thrown overboard on a ferry in Amsterdam while they were partying. <laughs> <laughs> This was a great topic. Uh, I, I told you, buckle up. Uh, so they, they do somehow get in the recording of a second album amidst all of this. And it comes out in, I didn't put the date, so it comes out sometime. And this is What's the Story Morning Glory, which was an even bigger success than the first one. It sold over 4 million copies, became the fifth best-selling album in UK chart history, which I think it still stands. Uh, this is the album that has Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger. Wonderwall hit number one, Don't Look Back in Anger hit number two. Um, and despite the fact that the Gallagher brothers are crazy and everyone mm -hmm. knows this, the press loved the album. They called it the first promising rock album of the decade. Um, but listening to it now, Noel says he can't fucking stand it. Yeah. Because of the time of his life that it was written in. Uh, this is just cute. On, Oct uh, April, uh, on April 27th and 28th, 1996, Oasis played their first headlining outdoor concerts. They'd been opening pretty much up until now or played like smaller venues that didn't need football stadiums. Yeah. So they played at Main Road Football Stadium home of Manchester City Football Club, which the Gallaghers had been fans of since they were little. That's so cute. They played like their dream venue. In August of that year, so we're only, what, four-ish years into their existence as a band, mm -hmm. they played two of the biggest shows that the UK has ever seen at the Nebworth House in Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire? Hertfordshire. This is just three years after they got signed. I did put that bullet point in here. And they had, it was so many, like such a high demand, they had to do a ticket lottery. So 2.6 million people applied for tickets, which Jeez. is 5% of the British population. What? <laughs> if they had sold Whoa. everyone a ticket that applied, they could have sold the venue out for two weeks solid. Wow. But there's only two. That's nuts. Yeah. Guys, I did not know they were this big. I didn't either. They ended up playing to um, 125,000 people each night, which over the two nights is a quarter of a million people. Yeah. They, I don't think I put this in here, but the VIP list for each night was like a thousand people. Jeez, that's a lot. Crazy. And they actually held the highest attendance record 
at Nebworth until 2003. And it only was broken because Robbie Williams played three nights in a row at the same venue. So yeah. he had an extra night. That's the Robbie Williams of a... Yes. The song with the struts. Yes. Okay. Um, there's actually a film in the works about these these Nebworth shows. It's supposed to come out this fall. So oh, that'd be fun. Check it out if you're listening to this in the future. But guess what? The brothers are still fighting. Yeah, I can't imagine it would stop. So after these these shows, they were supposed to record some kind of uh, or record an episode of MTV Unplugged. But last minute, Liam was like, I can't. I have a sore throat. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do it. Um, according to Noel, he says that Liam just decided he didn't like performing acoustically anymore that morning. But he should have fucking figured that out before booking MTV yeah. Unplugged. <laughs> 100%. So Liam watches the band perform from a balcony while smoking beer and drinking or smoking, <laughs> smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and heckling Noel between songs as he's singing them. It's he actually, just, he just wanted to be the Muppet character who, who heckles. That's basically what he's, it's really funny to watch the footage of it. Um, so four days after this MTV unplugged thing, the group leaves to go tour America, but Liam just refuses to go allegedly he wanted to stay in the UK and house hunt with his then fiance, Patsy Kensett. Mm. Um, and obviously Noel was pissed. He later says that this was a move that killed Oasis stone dead in America. They did go tour with Noel on vocals, but like people didn't want to see Noel. They wanted to see Liam. Yeah. That's who they came for. But Noel said that we couldn't quit the tour. We had to do it anyway, because if we quit the tour, it would have given Liam the idea that he's more important than the band, which he's not. Which is smart. Absolutely. But Liam's hiatus fit only lasts for a week because he ends up joining the tour back in a week. And they end up performing Champagne Supernova at the 1996 MTV Video Music Awards at Radio City Music Hall. So they've made it that big that fast to be performing at the VMAs. Yeah. In this performance, though, Liam made some kind of gestures at Noel during his guitar solo and then spat beer all over him before storming off. So a few weeks later, Noel just left. He flew home without the band. Uh, The band followed separately on another flight and the media had a field day with this and they're like oh wait this is breaking up this is this is what's happening they clearly aren't traveling together anymore uh the band's done but they did reconcile and complete the tour together because like there was like a european leg of the tour yeah um but then things come to a screeching halt in 1996 at the tour stop in dublin on that same tour because the brothers have to face their past when they have a run-in with their father. Oh, that's awkward. So, because newspapers are fucking stupid, they hoped that a run-in with their father would make a juicy news story. Did the newspaper create this scenario? Yes. The newspaper paid for their dad to show up at this hotel. Holy shit. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. As you can imagine, this did not go well. Uh, Noel just immediately disappeared to his room and said, as far as I'm concerned, I don't have a father. Yeah. Uh, but Liam took the opportunity to take out his years of pent up anger and tried to fight his dad, like fist fight. But luckily their tour manager, who is probably my size, somehow pulled Liam off of him before anyone could get hurt because 
can imagine how that would have yeah. gone. Uh, but this encounter kind of shook them up for a little while. And I made, would imagine. Made them confront their past demons. Well, it's also like a traumatic way to do it when you don't do it on your own terms. As we learned, the British press has no chill. Like, yeah. American press is bad, but honestly, I think British press... I do believe that. Maybe we're... Even now, like, there are articles, because I have a, a Google alert for the struts. Yeah. And, like, at least once a week, an article will pop up about uh, Little Mix and Jade Thurwall because she dated Jed from the Struts. Mm-hmm. It's like they have to throw that into every article they write about her. They're like, Jade Thurwall, who formerly dated the Struts, they haven't yeah. dated, or Jed of the Struts, they haven't dated in two and a half years. Why are you still mentioning that in your yeah. articles? So, yeah, Britain, your uh, newspapers and media outlets have zero fucking chill. So in August of 1997, they released their next album, Be Here Now. And by the end of the day of the release, it had sold 424,000 units. Wow. And by the end of Saturday that week, like when sales shut off, it had reached 696,000 units, making it the fastest selling album in British history. So they broke their own record like twice now, if you're following along. This album was predominantly written by Noel Gallagher during a holiday with... Kate Moss, Johnny Depp, and Mick Jagger. Ooh. What a star-studded vacation. What an interesting mix, too. Yeah. But Noel actually regrets writing the album this way because he feels like it doesn't fit his standard of the first two albums because it had too many influences. Yeah. Which is fair. He said that in the studio, it was great. But then on the day it came out, it was great. It was only then we started touring it and had to sing these songs every night that I was like, this doesn't fucking stand up to the rest of our stuff. Yeah. Also at this time, Britpop was very quickly declining. Um, it seems like music trends of the 90s just did not live long. We talked about this. It's interesting. Yeah. Isn't our, it? our grunge episode with Muses, like things in the 90s burned hot and fast. Yeah. And then we did never heard those musical sounds again. Well, because like right near the end of it too came the 2000s with LimeWire, Napster. Yeah. All of that. So like the musical scope broadened from there. Yeah. But a lot of the genres of the 90s immediately birthed other movements. Yeah. Like we didn't really see that in the 70s and 80s. Like it's just like also MTV came around in 1985 and it really didn't get its footing to the 90s like but it is interesting like the 90s is a very different time in music yeah I'd say the only like 90s if you can call them that band that's even still like super relevant is Foo Fighters yeah that's fair they've they've managed to like transform Ride themselves the wave, yeah. to fit into other uh I just thought it was interesting Dave Grohl really in general <laughs> I love Dave Grohl. I do too. I need to do Foo Fighters sometime soon. Yes. Um, anyway, so Britpop's declining, grunge is declining, all these things are declining in the 90s. And the third album, it did really well commercially, but it didn't meet fan expectations. It didn't meet the band's expectations. And so they just kind of like retreat and keep a low profile for a while after they finish their tour and just try not to stir up any shit. Mm-hmm. But they are not great at not stirring up shit because of who they are. Right. And the boys were living like the most extravagant rock star life. Noel was actually quoted in a paper saying to him, drugs are just like a cup of tea in the afternoon. 
And okay. it soon came out that he had a 4,000 pound a month uh, cocaine habit. Jeez. Which I don't know what that is in 2021 American dollars, but I'm guessing it's a lot. Yeah. Around this time, while they're trying to keep a low profile, Liam got himself banned from an Australian airline. <laughs> Sounds right. Carthay Pacific Airways banned him after uh, he, basically he was rude to a flight attendant, like really rude. He wanted some scones that she had on a tray and he he was high, but he wanted these scones and he kept asking her for these scones, but the flight attendant wouldn't give him one because they weren't for him. Yeah. And he threatened to slap her and then slap the pilot. And so they kicked him off the plane. This guy's a mess. They're both terrible people. They're a mess. Uh, uh, at the age of 30, Liam had developed crippling chest pains and his wife called the doctors and they were basically like, stop taking drugs yeah. or you're going to die. And so he just retreated to his country home and quit cold turkey. That's not a good idea. You have to get on a methadone no, or he something said, like that. He said it was no big deal to quit. He just did. And I was Damn, like, you okay. are not okay, Liam. Um, once he got it out of his system, he said that he was surprisingly happy and found his creative groove again and wrote a whole bunch of songs. This was about... Uh, so he was surprisingly happy. He found a creative groove. Um... Am I getting the brothers mixed up? I think I think it was Noel who almost died, not Liam. Okay. Keeping these two straight when they both have equally chaotic lives. Fair. So Noel quits drugs. He's happy. He wants to record a new album. But Liam is having a drinking problem. So Noel tells Liam he has to stop drinking in order to do this album. Which he does. Noel gets sober for this album. Mm-hmm. While they're recording this album... I don't really have a better place to put this. In 1998, the brothers fighting is immortalized on MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh, fuck that show. Which, because... Fuck that show, Because man. I was not allowed to watch MTV as a kid, I didn't know this was a thing. Bro, I... Okay. What the fuck? Okay. I have nightmares. I had recurring nightmares about that show. I believe it. Because Jonathan used to watch it. My brother is five and a half years older. And he's like, this is to this day. To this day, I hate Claymation because of that show. And Robot Chicken. Yeah, Robot Chicken. <laughs> but Robot Chicken didn't have an effect on me. But like that show and how bloody it was. It's disturbing. It is so disturbing. And it would literally like haunt my dreams at night as a kid yeah that's fair because of jonathan i watched so. this um i wish i didn't watch this but yeah. i was curious you could have texted me and i would have told you uh well i want to save it for your live reaction oh god but if you are like me and you weren't allowed to watch mtv as a kid basically they used to take the time to do fake claymation wrestling matches between celebrities who had beef with each other and so they did one with the with the Gallagher brothers in which they're both like super drunk and they're just like shit talking to the whole time. And I only really watched half of it. I will admit because I, I also hate claymation because of robot chicken. Yeah. Um, and it was stupid. So I didn't watch it. The claymation, like literally I was in church one time and they did a claymation Jesus and I couldn't watch it. It's not like, it's different. Stop motion. Like the Rankin Bass specials at Christmas. Love. Yeah. Love, love, love. 
Stop motion is different. Claymation just freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, something about that robot. It was it's done in like the very much robot chicken style yeah. too. I just don't like it. Don't I'm like with it. you. So yeah, don't watch that or do. I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but I don't advise watching it. Yeah, same. So in early 1999, the band began to work on their next album, which was the one that Liam was given the ultimatum. He had to stop drinking. Uh, and really quickly, when they started recording, it they announced that founding band member Paul Arthurs, who goes by Bonehead, was leaving the band. Paul says it's because he wants to spend time with his family, but Noel says that he was violating the very strict no drink or drugs rule that he had imposed so that Liam could do the album. Right. And then they started fighting. I don't know who's right. Again, you can't fact check these things because everyone has a different side of the story. Yeah. But two weeks later, their original bassist, Paul McGuigan, left. And so naturally, the media was like, hey, what the fuck is happening in there? Mm -hmm. Because these two left, Liam got really stressed. But Noel was like, I have a fucking plan. Sit down, calm the fuck down and leave it to your big brother. And that is a direct quote. They held a press conference shortly after because that solves all the problems. In which they assure the reporters that the future of Oasis is secure. The story and the glory will go on. So they decided to just continue as a three-piece. So Noel re-records most of Arthur's guitars and the bass parts that McGuigan was playing. And then they were like, we'll deal with the replacements later. We're going to finish the album. So once the album wraps, they begin searching for replacement members. Yeah. And they eventually hire Colin... Jem Archer on guitar and Andy Bell on the bass. And this is a running joke at this point, but Bell had never played the bass before. <laughs> you know, I expect that at the at the newbie level. Not in your fourth not, album. Not in the fourth internationally acclaimed band level. <laughs> he so he had to learn to play it. And uh in the documentary, Noel says, uh sorry. In the documentary, Noel said that Liam told him, if you can play the guitar, you can play the fucking bass. Uh, he's not wrong, though. So he had to really quickly learn Oasis' entire back catalog to go on tour Jeez. in December. So around this time, Creation Records, who they had signed a six-album contract, six contract deal with, folded. Mm-hmm. And so Oasis just made their own label because they have uh, all the money in the world at this point, which they called Big Brother, which they released this album and all subsequent records on, at least in the UK and Ireland. I don't know who distributed them in America. It's not relevant. So their fourth album, which is called Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, it's very Cute. ambitious, came out in February 2000. It peaked at number 24. And they took the opportunity for those two guys who left to like make some changes to their sound this featured the new and now iconic oasis logo in that very 90s font you know what i'm talking about wasn't it like an oval logo yeah my brain is telling me this you know what it looks like whether you know what it looks like or not that was designed by jim arthur jim archer himself and this was the first ever oasis album to include a song written by liam that's nice. All up until now, they were all written by Noel. This song is called Little James, and it has a very experimental, psychedelic influence. Makes sense. So, allegedly, in the middle of the 2000s world tour, the Gallaghers got into a fight so bad, 
Um, it's rumored that this fight was caused when Liam questioned the legitimacy of Noel's daughter. That's not fun to talk about. No. And so Noel quits the tour. He just pieces out. He later would tell, like much later, like 10 to 20 years later, told British magazine Q that I've never forgiven him because he's never apologized. Yeah. He did eventually rejoin the band for that tour that year, but the damage was done. He never trusted Liam again. Like to this day, they still do not get along. And we're going to talk about that in a minute because it's you thought the previous antics were great. It gets better (laughs) when they discover Twitter. (laughs) Uh, In 2002, they drop the album Heathen Chemistry. Which, fun fact, was one of the first albums to ever get leaked on the internet. Oh. Uh, some Someone got a hold of, like, demo files a couple months before it dropped and put them on some sketchy-ass 2002 website. Yeah. And the band was pissed. Uh, after this album came out, they were on a world tour, and they actually... Some of the band got in a really bad car accident that made them cancel like the second half of the tour that sucks the keyboardist and noel were in this this car accident so things are falling apart on that same tour like noel's in a car accident liam and the rest of the band get in a really violent fight at a munich nightclub they had been drinking really heavily and liam was on cocaine he actually lost his two front teeth oh in this this fight because he kicked a police officer in the ribs yeah, and that's the, going to happen. The police officer fought back, and Alan got minor head injuries because he got slammed in the head with an ashtray. Oh, jeez. Liam actually got fined about 40,000 pounds from this. They did finish their tour. They ended up having like to miss two weeks of the tour because they were arrested and in trouble. So they had to come back like a year later and fill in these dates, which I think is funny. They started working on their sixth album in late December 2003 with uh, at Sawmill Studios in Cornwall. The album was originally planned for a September 2004 release because that was going to be the 10th anniversary of Definitely Maybe. Mm-hmm. But at this time, they fired their drummer who had been with them since the last drummer got kicked out. So Alan White. Yeah. They just kicked him off. Um his brother Steve said that like he had to release a statement basically because the press ate this up with another, another member being fired at Oasis. So his brother had to put on his website, um, you know, the spirit of being in the band was kicked out of him and he just wanted to hang out at home with his girlfriend, which is fair. I feel like being an Oasis is going to be very exhausting. Yes. So they replaced him with Zach Starkey, who was, at one time, the drummer of The Who, and is the son of Ringo Starr. Yeah, I was about to say, I know his name. That makes sense. Um, he did perform on the studio recordings for this album and toured a little bit, but he never was officially listed as a member. That's unfortunate. <laughs> which is kind of rude. Um, very, very early into this, into him being in the band, like a couple weeks into the band, they Oasis headlined the Glastonbury Festival, and mm-hmm. it was... Eh. Like, it did not go over well. BBC called the set lackluster and uneventful. Fans didn't even really like it. Um, Liam just was kind of there, standing there, singing. Like, he didn't seem like he wanted to be there. And it was very obvious that, like, the drummer wasn't ready. Right. Because he just joined the band, like, five minutes ago. 
In May 2005, they came out with their sixth studio album called Don't Believe the Truth. And this is actually held in really high regards. It's considered their best effort since Morning Glory. Uh, it had like two really successful singles. But let's let's pop into the brothers and see what they're doing. Yeah, how, how are they doing these days? So they have discovered that they can fight with each other via the press. Oh, that's healthy. So they would they would just like call up a reporter and be like, I got this to say about Noel. <laughs> so in two thousand the reporter's like, Yes. They're like, Yeah, you made my job easy. Um so in a spin interview in two thousand five Noel admitted that he was resorting to mental manipulation to get Liam to do what he wanted. Holy shit. He said, I've kind of learned that instead of arguing stuff out with him and ending up fighting, I work on his psychology and he's completely freaked out by me now. I can read him and I can fucking play him like a slightly disused arcade game. Oh, geez. Later, Noel would reveal that he used to mess with Liam, who was apparently afraid of ghosts, by moving furniture around Ah! and making him think ghost did it. Ah! I love that. So some slight psychological warfare on his brother, but and also it's kind of funny. Pranks. <laughs> uh, in like the late 2000s, they kind of saw a resurgence in popularity. They released a after they released "Don't Believe the Truth." So in February 2008, Q Magazine and HMV, which is kind of like the British version of Fye, it's a music yeah. store. They did a poll. And they wanted to find the 50 greatest British albums of the last 50 years. And two Oasis albums were voted first and second. Oh, neat. So definitely maybe came in first. And What's the Story, Morning Glory came in second. They actually had two other albums in the list. So four of their six albums made the list. Don't Believe the Truth was number 14. And Be Here Now made number 22. In May 2008, Zach Starkey left the band after finishing up the... the seventh studio album. Uh, he was replaced with Chris Chirac, who was also never listed as an official member of the band. Mm-hmm. They just stopped trying at this point. Uh, and this is actually really kind of sad. On September 7th, 2008, they were performing at Virgin Festival in Toronto, and a member of the audience ran on stage and physically attacked Noel. Oh, Noel geez. got three broken and dislodged ribs from Jeez. this attack, which makes me wonder where the fuck was security? Yeah. Audience members should not be allowed to get on the stage ever because shit like this happens. So shortly after that attack, Noel's out of like, because he's got broken ribs. Liam gets laryngitis for real this time. He's not just making it up. Yeah. And they cancel a gig at the V Festival in Chelmsford in August 2009. Noel made a statement saying that the gig was canceled due to Liam having a hangover. And Liam sued Noel. Oh, nice. For defamation, demanded an apology stating, the truth is I had laryngitis, which Noel was made fully aware of in that morning. I was diagnosed by a doctor and (laughs) Noel issues an apology and they drop the lawsuit. So clearly things are not good between the two of them. Yeah. At this point. They haven't been good since like children. But they're really, really not good now. And so... The, the poor group manager has to announce that they're canceling their tour or sorry, they're canceling their concert at the rock and scene festival near Paris, literally minutes before it's about to begin. Like the crowd is there. They're For all them, excited. Yeah. And she, she, he, they have to walk out on stage and be like, 
Um, so we're canceling the show because the group doesn't exist anymore. What? I, which I thought about this. I was like, what if I was at a show and the poor managers had to come out and say like the band broke up. Sorry. How do you even react if you're there? I don't. The band broke up. Jeez. So two hours later, a statement from Noel appeared on the band's website saying it's with some sadness and great relief i quit oasis tonight people will write and say what they like but i simply could not go on working with liam one day longer wow that's 2011 this is or 2009 2009 okay liam and the remaining members of oasis continued the band under the name bdi they actually did two studio albums and but they broke up in 2014 in 2010, Oasis won Breast British Album of the Last 30 Years for What's the Story Morning Glory at the 2010 Brit Awards. Liam came and collected that award alone. In his speech, he thanked Bonehead, McGuigan, and Alan White, but not Noel. Jeez. Uh, he threw his microphone, after the speech, he threw his microphone and the Brit Award into the crowd. Ugh. On March 15th, he defended his actions because obviously he got a lot of shit for it saying i'm sick of it all being about me and noel the last couple of months have been pretty much about me and him so i thought it was only right to mention the other lads who played on the album and the best fans in the world i thought throwing the award was a nice gesture to give it to the fans but obviously it was misinterpreted as usual yeah so then we enter the social media age I bet this is going to be a wild ride <laughs> and the brothers move their view to the only logical place the internet Twitter. And this is my favorite part of the whole thing. So on May 24th, 2016, Liam tweets a photo of Noel with the caption being the word in all caps, potato. Potato! <laughs> you know, that's one of those words that if if done the right way, it can really piss off someone. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole tweet. There was nothing more to it. But uh, for the next uh, for the next year, he tweeted about Noel being a potato at least six more times. <laughs> uh, the article I read said it was childish, sure, but also it's pretty damn funny. That is hilarious. He told an interviewer that said, uh, lots of people say I need to chill out about Noel. Not until they stop Twitter. He'll always get it from me. Uh, and But then things got kind of worse after, I forgot that the, the bombing attack at the Ariana Grande concert took oh, place yeah. in Manchester. In Manchester, that's right. And so Liam made a surprise appearance. Uh, they organized like a benefit concert after that called yeah. One Love Manchester. I remember that. Yeah. And so Liam showed up. He did some Oasis songs. It was a big deal. But Noel didn't show up. And so Liam gets on Twitter and called him a sad fuck for not coming <laughs> fuck jeez and then in june 2017 someone let liam do a reddit ama that's a bad idea (laughs) which if you don't know what an ama is it's an ask me anything if you're on reddit uh like celebrities host them or people in certain jobs will do them and you can literally ask them anything and they will answer it um i think the rule is they have to answer if they can like if they get to it in a lot of time and so in this ama noel recommends that liam needs to see a psychiatrist Sorry, someone let Noel do an AMA. Not Liam. Uh, Noel recommends that Liam needs to see a psychiatrist because of those tweets after the Manchester Arena bombing. 
Um, but also he, <laughs> in this AMA, he admitted that he owns 1,500 tambourines. <laughs> to remind him of the day he hit Liam with a tambourine. I guess. Um, and he also call, compared Robbie Williams to a Bud Light in this AMA. <laughs> there are many other nuggets, but I don't have time to list them all. In 2016, a documentary titled Oasis Supersonic was released, and it tells the story of, like, the summer of 1996, when they were just starting to get really big and, like, explode on the scene. Like I said earlier, this was made by the same team as the Amy biopic, and it includes, like, a lot of great footage that was captured at the time. On April 29th, 2020... That's my birthday. Hey, this was... Your pandemic birthday. It was my pandemic birthday. Noel announced that there was a new demo recording of Don't Stop. And they were just going to drop it at midnight the next day because that's how we do things in 2020. Yeah. The track was from a soundtrack in Hong Kong and was rediscovered during the COVID-19 pandemic because I guess someone was bored. Yeah. And was sifting through old shit. Go through it. Best time to do it. The d- The song passed one million views like what, four days late, The third of May. So it came out on the... Th- 30th of April, the 3rd of May, it hit a million views. So that was very, very fast. And it reached number 80 on the UK single chart just based on streaming because they never did a physical release. Yeah. So that tells you the UK is still obsessed with these guys for some reason. They are considered among the ranks of the Beatles, the Who, and the other legendary British bands for changing the face of British music. That's crazy. With their record-breaking sales, concerts, disputes, and their high-profile chart battle with Blur, Oasis was a major part of the UK pop culture, an era that has since been dubbed Cool Britannia, <laughs> which is not a cool name for that era. Many, many bands and artists have cited Oasis as an influence. Uh, the Struts do get some influence from Oasis, but also Arctic Monkeys, Catfish and the Bottlemen, The Killers, Maroon 5, and Coldplay. And then I had to end on, why is Wonderwall a joke? Because I genuinely wanted to know the... I don't remember a time when we weren't joking about... Yeah. So anyway, here's Wonderwall. Um, and so this dates all the way back to 2012, which is... I was expecting it to go a little further, but it does not. Um, if you were around on the internet, you may remember the meme scumbag amateur guitar player. It was a playoff of scumbag Steve. <laughs> yes. And the meme... Like, this is real old meme generator memes. It just said, I don't know that one. Here, let me play Wonderwall. <laughs> and it, it spread around 9gag, Reddit, and Funny Junk, which I forgot Funny Junk yeah. was a thing. And ICanHasCheeseburger.com. That still exists. Does it really? I, well, they follow, I follow them on Facebook because cats. Yeah. And then in 2013, it got taken one step further when YouTuber Julia Banks uploaded a video to her YouTube channel titled, Anyway, Here's Wonderwall. <laughs> Which does feature a brief ukulele cover of the song, but then she like switches into a parody about the commercialization of Christmas. Yes. <laughs> and then that's how it became like a popular way to change your conversation on Reddit. So anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> and that is the wild, wild that ride fun. of Oasis. That was a good one. <laughs> I'm glad our British audience recommended this to us. I hope I did not shit on Oasis too much. Yeah. They're just... I have to say, like, some a lot of times we get like crazy people on here, like Nikki Six. Right. He's for the most part 
harmless. Ozzy. I feel like he's got his shit together now. Liam and Noel, though, I feel like they need therapy. They both do. They really need therapy. And, like, fame does not help sibling rivalries. No. Nor having your dad surprise you after he's been paid off by the press. This may be the most unhealthy relationship we have ever covered. Absolutely. Very entertaining, though. Makes for very good content. It does. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review wherever you leave your reviews, which is most likely going to be Apple. Leave a review on Apple. A special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. Uh, there you'll find our social information, our show notes, information on how to contact us, and our brand new spanking merch that we designed ourselves. Um, other than that, don't do drugs. And don't fight with your siblings. Unless they deserve it. <laughs> Looking at you, Jonathan. Yeah.